Have you ever felt overwhelmed as if you don't have enough time? Today, we're going to look at the book Essentialism by Greg McCune and discuss how to have a systematic approach to determining our highest priorities. Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the episode today. Today, we're going to talk about the book Essentialism by Greg McCune. This is a book that I read a number of years ago and really got a lot out of it and have been a fan of Greg ever since. He recently came out with the book Effortless, which is a follow-up to essentialism, kind of expands on some of the ideas that he talks about later on in his book. So I would encourage you to pick up both of these. Today, we're going to talk about how this book applies to your personal finances. We're going to talk about investing, budgeting, our decision-making processes, how to evaluate our decisions. And then we're also going to talk about how to create an emergency fund and some specifics as far as investing allocations and things of that nature. So let's jump right in, not take any more time. But I will say, if you are a listener to this podcast and you have not yet given a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it would be much appreciated. I appreciate already all the feedback that we've gotten Uh, We've had a great number of listeners. I'm really excited for what is to come. I have some great plans coming up. So subscribe, follow, whatever. You can look in the show notes. You can find all of those things. But most importantly, I would love if you would share it with someone else. And I would love if you would rate and review the podcast. So without further ado, what is essentialism. So essentialism is the idea that we are going to constantly pause and ask, am I investing in the right activities? In our day-to-day lives, we have a million things that can be distracting. We have a million things that can take our attention. But being an essentialist is about looking at the things and determining what is most important and only focusing on those most important things. As described by the book, essentialism is a disciplined and systematic approach for determining where our highest point of contribution lies, then making execution of those things almost effortless. So this idea behind essentialism is that we're going to create systems that we're going to look at things where we can contribute and be extremely important, and we're going to focus on those essential things, and we're going to try and make those essential things easy to do and easily repeatable. A quote from the book, if you do not prioritize your life, someone else will. So it's our job to take control of our own lives, take control of our own outcomes, prioritize things ourselves. And it's when we tell others those priorities that they know how best to address us. By setting the things that are essential 
for us, we're going to have a great filter to view the world through. We're going to make this into a two-part episode just because this book is so dense with material. And so today we're going to talk about the first takeaway and then the next episode and next week we'll talk about takeaways two and three. So Essentialism is broken down, the book that is, is broken down into four parts. Part number one is called Essence, and it's what is the core mindset of an essentialist. So they talk about our ability to choose, our ability to discern, and the trade-offs that we make along the way. Part number two is called Explore. It says, how can we discern the trivial many from the vital few. So we look to escape, look, play, sleep, and select. Uh, He talks about how we want to explore a lot of different options. It maybe seem counterintuitive, but by exploring a lot of different options, we can then determine what is most important and only focus on those. Part three is eliminate. So we want to figure out what of the many, the trivial many that we can cut out and eliminate from our lives. So he talks about clarification, the ability to say no, uncommitting or decommitting from things, editing, uh, being an editor in your own life. Uh, Samantha loved that one. And then limit and setting boundaries. And then part four is the execute phase. And it's how can we make doing the vital few things almost effortless. And he actually kind of expands this section four into his whole new second book, Effortless, which just came out this year. So in Execute, we want to create a buffer. We want to subtract things, remove obstacles. We want to uh, focus on small wins. We want to create good routines. And we want to live the essentialist lifestyle. I really enjoyed this book. I think you would too. So like I said, you can go pick that up. I will have affiliate links in the show notes that will take you directly to Amazon. So when we talk about how essentialism relates to money, I have three things that I pulled out. We need to use discernment to know what choices to make with our money. So that's point number one. Point number two, we need to eliminate things that stop us from achieving our money goals. And then number three, we need to create buffer in our lives so we can make better decisions overall. Today, I'm going to just focus on number one, uh, about using discernment in the choices we make with our money. And then next week, we will talk about points two and three, eliminating and creating buffer. So let's jump right in. Daily, we have choices. Should I go to Wendy's or should I go to Arby's? Should I buy Colgate or should I buy Crest? Should I get an SUV or should I get a sports car? Not all of these are choices that we all have to make, but we want to use the essentialism tenets and realize that almost everything, almost every decision you make is unimportant. So the question is, how do you choose the best option? You choose the best option 
by exploring as many options as possible and then having a strict filter for what sticks. Almost everything is unimportant. I don't think I could repeat that enough. In our day-to-day lives, we get caught up in the minutia of all the details. And the reality is the things that we end up spending our time on are not important. I can go back and look at the days that I stress, the days that I do all the different things that I do. And when it comes down to it, very few of the things that I focused on in that day actually connect to the goals that I have set for myself. And if you're not a person that sets goals or doesn't have goals that you're striving towards, this effect is even worse. If you don't have a goal that you're striving toward, you're surely going to wander throughout your days, throughout your weeks, and you're going to wonder six months, a year from now, why you didn't accomplish anything. The reality is, is every day we do things that are extremely unimportant It do things that don't lead to the bottom line results that we want. The reality is certain efforts yield higher value than others. With the efforts that yield higher value, we should be spending more time on those things. If we eliminate the things that are not bringing value, that allows us more time to spend on the things that are truly of value. In this way, less is better because less of the things that don't matter is going to lead to us spending more time on the things that do matter. So part of being an essentialist is the ability to discern what is important and what is not important. John Maxwell has a famous quote that says, you cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. Let me repeat, you cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. As an essentialist, you want to explore different options. You want to have and use good discernment. And the only way to do that is by focusing on your goals. You want to discern more so that you can do less. And by doing less, you're going to be focusing on the less that is the important. The the second piece to this is once we understand and can discern what is most important and what is unimportant, we want to explore. We want to explore the options that we have to us, explore the options that are around us because the investment is justified if it can repay us tenfold. One rule that he uses here uh, when exploring is he talks about the 90% rule, that anything that is lower than 90 out of 100 is automatically ruled out. A good example of this is, is if we're interviewing candidates for a position that we're trying to fill. A lot of times we interview a bunch of candidates and we compare them side by side and we spend time worrying about candidates that are maybe an 80 out of 100 scale. 
But if we focus on candidates that are only at that top level that fill that 90 out of 100 criteria, it's going to allow us to select the best candidate more easily. And it allows us to not settle. So many times we take things that are not ideal and we try and make them work and it ends up hurting us in the long run. So we want to create selective criteria that will limit our decisions for us that will allow us to better discern what is important versus not important. The reality is those things below that 90% threshold do not provide the results that we truly want. So why would we accept something less than what we desire? A quote from the book, it says, if it isn't a clear yes, then it is a clear no. I think that is a great filter to use as we look at decisions that we're making. If we can't clearly and enthusiastically say, yes, we want to move forward with this, or yes, we want to do this, then it needs to be a clear no. By having more selective criteria, it's going to help us in a few ways. The selective criteria is going to help us know truly what we want. By choosing more selective criteria, we're having to get more specific in the things that we desire. By getting more specific in those things, we're going to be able to say no to things that previously we would have written off as not a big deal. This selective criteria over the long run is going to lead to better overall outcomes, better overall results. So let's talk about our application here to your personal finances. We're going to talk about two different elements of this. One, we're going to talk about investing and one, we're going to talk about budgeting. So let's first start with investing. When it comes to investing, we have to realize that the decisions that we make today are potentially lifelong impacts and actually most likely are going to have lifelong impacts. Because of that, these decisions are extremely consequential. I would argue that these are going to be essential decisions. This fits into your essentialism framework. Because of that, using these last two concepts, we want to be extremely discerning in what we do, and we want to be willing to explore or select a vast array of options. So we want to be extremely discerning in that we do not want to settle for things that are suboptimal. If we settle for things that are suboptimal, we will end up with significantly less results. The other part of this is, is we want to explore a lot of options. This exploring of options is going to help in our education, it's going to help us be able to see different routes to maybe the same destination. And it's going to help us as we determine what's optimal for us. We don't need to be afraid of the options that are out there. I would say that we want to start first. We want to do the most basic thing we can do. We want to put all of our money into index funds, and then we want to dig in and explore what the other options are because we want to start that compounding. We want to start the investing today. So don't use 
the exploring of options as a reason to not start. Let's go ahead and start. Let's go ahead and invest our money today. Let's start with the simplest option. Let's open that Roth IRA. Let's put money into a simple index fund or a simple target date fund. And then you can spend time exploring your options later. We talked about this in the Millionaire Next Door episode, but it is extremely hard to beat the market. I'll just say of everyone listening, there's maybe one to two people that can do that well. The rest of you are not going to beat the market. To beat the market, you're going to have to daily monitor it for the trades that you're sitting in. You're going to have to quarterly research the companies that you're holding and even maybe some new companies that you're investing in. And you're going to have to daily monitor where you're at. Even if you're on a long term, that quarterly research is something that could take hours to do if you're doing it correctly. So what sounds better? Daily monitoring and quarterly research, sometimes hours of research, or one time investing some time to compare some good ETFs or good index funds, and then just letting it ride out the ride that it takes you on. I know when we talk about essentialism, when we talk about being an essentialist, that we want to leverage the time that we have And I think the reality is, is I'm not going to have the time or spend the time necessary to find winning trades, to find companies and hold companies and do that quarterly research. Because you think for every company that you own, you've probably got to do three to four hours of research every quarter when those quarterly reports come out to make sure that your bet is still good. Even companies, if your plan is to be on a long-term hold, you need to stay up. And I would argue that you're going to need to spend a minimum of three to four hours. So if you invest in 10 companies, you now have 30 to 40 hours every quarter, a week of every quarter that you're going to have to do research. This to me does not sound like a good use of time for the average person. And it sounds like an unrealistic goal to meet because most of you, all of you who do that are not going to do that amount of research. The other element is if you only have 10 companies, you're going to be very heavily weighted towards companies that might not do well, because if one doesn't do well, it can take down your results pretty substantially. I've not done any research on this, but that scares me because if you make a bet on a company and you're wrong on that bet, that bet can outweigh the other nine bets that you have made. So my personal choice and my recommendation for especially people starting out is that you find a good ETF or index fund that's going to depend on where you're investing, what those look like, but an S&P 500 index fund a total stock market index fund are all great ones. Uh, even target date funds, while they've got a little bit higher fees, it's a great place to start. Just put your target date for you know when you plan to turn 65, when you're 
when you plan to turn 65. You turn 65 whether you plan for it or not. So put it out there um, and or you could do what I've done in the past and I just choose the farthest out target date fund they have because I would prefer to be more in stocks because my date is so much further out. The reality of it is, is even if you can beat the stock market, even if you can beat these index funds that are your options, the minuscule potential returns that are above the norm are not worth your time. That also doesn't take into account the fact that you're extremely unlikely to outpace those other options. So as we dig a little bit further into um, investing, like I said, I would start out with a good ETF, a good index fund in your Roth IRA, in your 401k. Look for ones that have low fees but are taking up broad index indexes or broad um, benchmarks. And then from that point, if you want to research further, you can do it. But for most people, this is where they're going to stop. And I think that's ideal that this is where most people are going to stop. You also have options of, you know, investing in, say, uh, real estate and cryptocurrencies and in individual stocks, but these are all things that should not be done until you've done the basic level of investing. Once you've done that basic level, you can spend the time researching the other options. Me personally, I've explored about every option I can put my hands on. I've ins- I've explored and done research on All of the things I just mentioned, real estate, cryptocurrencies, individual stocks, I've allocated a small portion, you know, a couple thousand dollars here or there to just invest in individual stocks to scratch that itch. But I realize that I'm a very bad trader or very bad individual stock person because I allow my emotions to get the best of me. So by doing that research and by digging into that, I'm able to prove to myself that my buy and hold strategy with ETFs and index funds is definitely the right way to go for me. So it's proving out the bad options. I've also researched, you know, ways to invest in different companies, ways to invest in real estate trust, ways, just all these different options. And I've thrown a little bit money here or there because it helps get your feet wet. But those should all be minuscule, very small portions of your portfolio until you've proven out some of the theories or some of the ideas that you have. To reiterate, with investing, you're making potential lifelong decisions. You need to have good discernment and stick to only things that you know. It's okay to dig in and explore a lot of options, and I would actually encourage that using this framework of essentialism, but don't use that as a reason to not start. Start today, set aside a dollar amount that you're going to invest monthly and stick it into an index funds or ETFs, and then do the research later. Next, I want to talk about budgeting. Budgeting fits into this essentialism framework. We've talked about having good discernment, 
and looking at all your options, budgeting fits into this framework pretty easily. The first way is you can save money by researching. By researching different products that you might want to buy, it helps you not waste money when you buy bad products. I can't tell you how many times that I've gone and I've bought something on a whim only to realize that whatever I bought stinks and I have to end up trying to return it. If I can't return it, I have to buy the other thing and I'm still out the money. At worst, it's costing you money. At best, it's only costing you time. By researching and doing good research, especially on bigger items that you purchase, you only have to buy the item once. It's going to last longer and it's going to result in more happiness with the things that you buy. We don't have a specific threshold, but I would say over a couple hundred dollars, you want to start doing research. It's all going to depend on your financial situation, what's worth doing research on. One place that I like to go is I like to go to a website called Wirecutter. It helps because they do extensive reviews of items and it helps you dig in and see uh, the pros and cons without actually having to touch that item. You can also ask your friend network what are their recommendations for an item. There's a lot of great ways to do this research on the internet. I would just argue you can't always trust the Amazon reviews, but you can also definitely use those depending on the cases. but there are a lot of fake reviews. And so you do have to be careful of that being your sole source for trusting uh, whether to buy an item or not. Now with lower cost items, that may be the best way to go because if you're looking for a specific cord, you don't know what the best cord is. So just find the one that has the highest rating and just go with the highest and most ratings and go with that. You can also apply the framework here that if it's not a clear yes, it's a clear no. The reality is we buy things all the time that are not clear yeses. And when we buy those things, there ends up being this regret that happens later on where we wish we hadn't have spent the money on the thing, or maybe we bought it and we never touch it again. Maybe it's that, that piece of clothing that we purchased and we wear it once and it sits in our closet or it sits in our closet with the tag on and six months, a year later, we realize we've never even taken the tag off. We've never even worn it out of the house. So using this framework, if it's not a clear yes, if we have any hesitation or doubt, we're just going to say no, we're going to cut it off, not spend that money. The other piece that we can talk about, so so that's the first piece of of budgeting is that You can save money by spending time researching. The other piece is budgeting does not have to be intimidating. We can use the essentialism principle of simplify to simplify your budget. When you hear the word budget, people automatically shut down and think, I can't do that. I can't stick to that. They view it as a strict set of rules. They view it as something that's extremely intimidating. And I'm telling you right now, it does not have to be that way. So the way that we can simplify our budget is we can limit the number of categories that we have. I personally like a detailed budget. 
I won't get into all the specifics here of that, but that detailed budget is not right for everyone. For me, the detailed budget allowed me to see all the little things that I was purchasing. So we have line items for, say, toothpaste, for toilet paper, paper towels, all of these things that we buy on a regular basis. Because what I found was happening is I was budgeting for these amounts based off what our spend was. And then we would go out and we would have these these essentials that we'd have to purchase. And we wouldn't have enough money in that account or in that budget category. And I was always confused and always having to make adjustments. So by taking these little things and budgeting details, it's helped me have a tighter flow on things, a tighter understanding of what we're spending our money on. At this point, I don't necessarily need those still, but I've kept them just because I like seeing it. I like tracking it. It's just interesting to me. Um, And it helps me have that visual representation of where our money is going. But all budgeting is, is being aware of the money coming in and the money going out. That's all it is. And that's all it needs to be. Dave Ramsey uses the zero-based budget concept, whereas if you have $1,000 that come in, you need to account for where every one of those $1,000 is going. And I like, and I think that is the way that you need to go about your money. So it's more of a cash flow, uh, what's coming in, what's going out. You're giving all of your money a job, which is what Dave Ramsey talks about. And, And I think one of the good visuals that he gives you. So the way that we can simplify our budget and make it less intimidating is we can only choose the top three to four categories and not worry about the minuscule details. An example of this would be is you have a category for housing, which would include your house payment, any utilities related to that, um, any maintenance, any spending along that lines. You could then have your car and your gas in a category. You could then have you and your wife's or your individual spending money, and then you could have everything else. That's all you need. You need to just look at the top categories where you spend the most money and keep track of those. Because if you keep track of those and then you just have a buffer or a general category that everything else flows into, it makes it extremely simple because then on a monthly basis, you're only tracking five to 10 potential individual items. Uh, For us, another one would be good groceries or, or food. You know, we like to track our groceries versus our eating out. But if you wanted to combine that all into one, you could stick with uh, housing, car, food, and then personal spending, and then just let it go from there. I would say that if you're starting with a budget, it's always good to get into minuscule details. And this goes back to their concept of exploring and being willing to look at a lot of different options. But if that's not the long-term solution for you, It's good to explore, to dive deep, and then to just go back to the surface level and only choose the top categories to track. No matter what level of budgeting you do, you are going to be better off if you budget or track your money in some way. I've never heard 
someone go through a budgeting exercise and say that they regret going through the exercise because they always learn something that they did not know before. So I would encourage you in whatever way works best for you to budget. I don't remember the exact stat, but in the the millionaire next door and Dave Ramsey talks about it as well. The majority of people who are millionaires, the majority of people budget in some way or another. Maybe it doesn't look like the tight detailed budget that I enjoy that I partake in. But in some way, they're tracking the money, they're tracking where it goes, how they get it, how they spend it, and knowing what they have left at the end of each month. Okay, well, that wraps us up for today. Next week, we're going to talk about takeaways number two and three. We're going to talk about eliminating, and then we're going to talk about creating a buffer. So I hope that you will join us for that episode next week. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this, I would love if you could share this episode with someone that you know, someone that you feel like could gain value. Please subscribe if you have not done that. You can go to delveintomoney.com and see different ways to contact me. Remember, until next week, healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions. Intentional financial decisions this week lead to a healthy financial future. Start today and we'll see you next week.